But when you sit back and you sort of look at it and you're like, oh, wow, that's, you know, it's a lot of cool accolades that these people have gotten. And it's, you know, it's a real honor to be working with a lot of them. Yep. It sort of hits you in that way. But I, I will say that, you know, working on a, a Steven Spielberg project, just if you can think of an idea and you want to try and make that happen, there's a whole world that sort of opens up that may not be available to you on other projects because his reach is just so vast. And for example, when we were doing the animations and the visual effects for uh, the Auschwitz film, you know, Steven said, let's get Weta, which is Peter Jackson's company in New Zealand. And they're, you know, one of the biggest and most well-known visual effects companies in the world. Oh, yeah. So that just kind of blows your mind. You're just like, yeah. well, you, you want to do some graphics, let's get Weta. And it, it puts it on a different level. <laughs> oh, so yes. I sort of realized that, you know, I didn't have as much control over the creative part as I would have hoped. Yeah. And I noticed in the, in the edit phase that they, you know, especially in documentary, which is where I started, they had an awful lot of control over how things are created and how scenes play out. And, you know, clearly the entire process is collaborative, but when you're working on documentaries, a lot of it is done in the bag. You know, what can you say? <laughs> you're talking about Hans Zimmer and Benjamin Wallfish, and they're creating compositions for a film that you're working on. And God. it's, you know, nothing we heard was anything short of great. You know, it's just every cue that came in, we're like, yep, that's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> And that doesn't always happen, but those guys are at the top of their game. Yeah, it's uh, quite profound there, to say the least. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Cinema After Dark podcast. My name is Max Cole, and I'm the host and producer of the show. And my God, it is piping hot here in Los Angeles, California. I swear it's about 90 degrees or close to 100. It's been ridiculously hot here lately, but the sun is starting to set and that beautiful moonlight is slowly, slowly upon us. Thanks so much for joining me on this broadcast here tonight. We are broadcasting live there on the Mixer app. For folks that are tuning in, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate it. You can listen to this live on CinemaAfterDark.com, or you can listen to us on that Mixler app. That's M-I-X-L-R.com, Cinema After Dark. Just look us up and you know, join the discussion here. But I really appreciate you all tuning in tonight. I want to remind everyone listening that you can also catch all the episodes of this podcast if you subscribe there on iTunes. You can also find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and also on SoundCloud, pretty much everywhere out there. Remember, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast, make sure you reach out to me via the contact link that's on our website. And I have one requirement. Got to make sure you have some skin in the game. And by skin in the game, you need to have a few credits under your belt we value that for credibility and hell we've got to have something to talk about also strongly encourage you to follow us on twitter there at cinema after dark for the latest show updates i want to remind everyone listening this is an information and discussion based podcast we do not censor ourselves and we sure the hell do not censor our guests but keep in mind that there might be views and opinions expressed on this podcast that may not reflect the views and opinions of the host my goodness, folks, have we got a great guest for you tonight and a gentleman by the name of Tim Calandrello. My God, he's just a fantastic gentleman there. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Tim Calandrello is a documentary filmmaker who has worked for nearly 20 years perfecting his craft with some of the biggest filmmakers and stars in the industry, including Steven Spielberg, Morgan Spurlock, James Mall, Francis Ford Coppola. Spike Jones, Nancy Spielberg, and Meryl Streep. 
Now, Tim has worked extensively with musicians and composers, including Hans Zimmer, Nathan Wang, Everclear, The Crystal Method, who also scored one of the films that he's working on, Hired Gun, God, Foo Fighters, and many others. In addition to the upcoming June 29th release of the feature documentary, Hired Gun, which Tim wrote, edited, and produced. He's also putting the final touches there on a new feature documentary for Hulu that will be released in the fall, a hybrid half-documentary, half-scripted series for Netflix. And he's in development on a, another feature documentary based on an acclaimed book by Eric Arbitman called Unutterable, which Tim will direct and produce. His recent documentary credits include Steven Spielberg produced Auschwitz and Farmland from Academy Award-winning director James Maul and the Grammy Award-winning film Foo Fighters Back and Forth, for which he was awarded a gold record and an NME award. Now, Tim has been recognized with four National Academy of Television Arts and Science Awards and is also the founder of of Twisted Pumpkin Incorporated, a film and television production and marketing company that specializes in documentaries, theatrical trailers, and promo campaigns. Tim's work has been seen in hundreds of film trailers and promos, television shows, music videos, pilots, uh, specials, and clients, oh God, including Disney, Amblin, Sony, Apple, RCA Records, NBC, AMC, Showtime, ESPN, and Fox. Just to name a few, it is quite a hefty bio. And let me bring this gentleman on the program here. Tim. Hello. <laughs> well, it was God. quite an introduction. Thank you. My goodness. Well, it's, it's quite a bio, I have to admit. And it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast here this well, thank evening. Thank you. It's and a pleasure to be here. Thanks a lot. My God, we crossed paths there in quite a unique way. And without giving away too much detail, I'll just say that L.A. is a huge city. But this industry is very, very small, and that's you know it's a beautiful thing when you're on the right side of it. But it's a pleasure to have you, you know, on this uh, podcast here tonight. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Wonderful. Well, let's jump right in here because we've got a lot to discuss, sir. Would you mind sharing where you were born and raised, and how you got started in the entertainment industry? Because your story is quite fascinating. Well, I, uh, I grew up in New York. I went to school at uh, Syracuse University, and uh, I went to the Visual and Performing Arts College there, and I was in the film program where they had an unbelievable foundation of art courses where the first thing that you learn when you're there is just art basics, foundation in art. They don't want you to touch a camera your entire freshman year. And of course, all the students are constantly ready to... Uh, jump in and start shooting stuff. But Syracuse wants you to go through the basic fundamental training and give you a good art foundation so that you can apply that when you get to film. And then from sophomore to senior year, it's all about film. All right. So I had a really, really great training there. And then uh, right after I graduated, I moved to Los Angeles and uh, I actually didn't even, didn't even have a car when I moved out here. Uh, oh but I, I did. I as luck would have it, I, I, you know, when I got here, I sent out a ton of resumes just to try and get into the industry because that's all I wanted to do. Yeah. And I was just like a madman at Kinko's, just Xeroxing and sending out resumes all over the town. And um, as luck would have it, a show called me. It was a show called Unsolved Mysteries, which ran oh, for yeah. a long time. Do you remember favorites. that show? Oh, yeah. I used to love that show. <laughs> 
it was uh, it was kind of like the reincarnation of its second run on on CBS. They did a couple of seasons yeah. uh, after they had finished on NBC, and uh, I just so happened to live really close to the production office, and the uh, they were in need of a production assistant right away. And my first job was somebody calling me up from that office saying, "Hey, it looks like you live really close. Is there any way you can come in here right now?" <laughs> and uh, so that's what I did. I was able to walk because I didn't have a car at that point. So yeah. I uh, walked over to the office and they let me use the company van. And that's nice. how I got my start. Well, that was before the uh, ride share days. You, can, you couldn't lift the Uber <laughs> then. That's right. It was before smartphone days, really. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Crazy. Now, I understand you wanted to be a director, but you uh, didn't enjoy it as much as you hoped. And then you got into editing. Would you mind talking about that a bit? Sure. Well, I... You know, going through film school, I, I think a lot of people want to be writers and directors. And, and you, you know, during the film programs, you sort of editing is part of that. But I didn't ever think that that would be where my focus was going to be. And I wanted to direct and I directed all my films in college as, as you're supposed to. And when I you know, got to L.A., I tried to seek out opportunities to direct. And I was fortunate enough to get a few of them early on. And it, you know, it's different when you're not able to do kind of whatever you want true you sort of realize the business of the film business and it's no joke so you know coming out as a as a you know with a background in art and film and wanting to just sort of make the projects i wanted to make and then you know having some directing jobs which were fun and i learned a lot but i i sort of realized that you know i didn't have as much control over the creative part as i would have hoped yeah and i noticed in the in the edit base that they you know especially in documentary, which is where I started, they had an awful lot of control over how things are created and how scenes play out. And, you know, clearly the entire process is collaborative, but when you're working on documentaries, a lot of it is done in the Bay. So I saw that and I, I kind of put my attention on that. And uh, I was doing side projects at the time and I, I shot a music video for a friend of mine and I edited the video at night at uh, a job I was working at. I, I was working as an assistant editor. And at nighttime, I would uh, stay on the Avids there and and uh, I would edit my personal projects. And somebody there happened to see it, thought that, you know, there might be something there. They offered me a job as uh, an editor at another company. And that's kind of how I got into editing. Oh, that's fantastic. By the way, shout out to everybody that's listening right now. We've got a hell of a lot of listeners tuned in. And shout out to everybody that is listening to this live but it's interesting that you mentioned the editorial background. That's sort of how I also got into this industry. I started off as an assistant editor, too, and I worked for uh, VGY Productions. It was a, a gentleman by the name of Cat Brown who was cutting all of the music videos, I swear, for like every hip-hop, R&B, you know, director that was out there. So I was working with Benny Boom, Director X, Hype Williams, like, you know, obviously Spike Jones. There was so many different directors that I was uh, uh, able to really help uh, do a lot of edits with, and we did a lot of commercials and stuff like that too. But it's interesting that you mentioned that you came in on the editorial side, and I certainly share that uh, commonality with you because that was, uh, and I don't know, it makes a big difference when you're able to really learn how the edit works. And like you said, it was digitizing footage and working on that <laughs> Avid system, right? That's right. That's right. You get, you get to see everything from the inside out there. You get to yeah. see how, how all the gears work inside. So oh, yeah. that's, where the, uh, that's where the fun stuff is. Yeah, it really is. And let's talk about editing too, because 
Are there any NLEs? Because I know you mentioned Avid. Are you a Final Cut guy? Are you an Adobe guy now? Are you still an Avid guy? What's your preference? Well, I, you know, I've worked on all those platforms. Yeah. I've actually worked for Apple before. And in fact, we were doing some promotional material for the release of Final Cut 7. Oh, yes. So I had worked on a, I'd worked on that platform a bunch. I've worked with Adobe Premiere, but you know, my, my favorite has always been Avid Media Composer. Right. And I say that especially for documentaries, because just the way in which you can media manage everything and just keep track of all the material that comes in. Absolutely. I just I just feel like Avid is the, the best tool for that job. Very cool. Do you use that mostly now or do you kind of switch back and forth between them? Because I know with, you know, a lot of the animation stuff like that and the 3D effects and, and working in certain environments, rotoscoping and whatnot, obviously you've got to switch to a tool like After Effects. How do you find that your workflow kind of plays out now? Do you, do you find that you... You know, really do stick with Avid most of the time? I do. And I, and I can tell you that I've done two movies now, one in which I started on Final Cut Pro and the other I started on Adobe. The rest right. of the films I've done were started through Media Composer. Those two projects were both times we ended up switching the platform to Avid halfway through the job. Oh, wow. And it just felt like, yeah, I mean, we, when we were working, actually, Foo Fighters was the first one. And we started that project on Final Cut Pro. And about a month into it, I just felt that there were a couple of things at that time where we could move faster if yeah. we were working in Media Composer. And I convinced the director at the time that uh, it was worth it to push the project from Final Cut to Avid. And we did that, which was a huge undertaking. Uh, yeah. Because we had almost 1,800 hours of footage. Wow. So, oh yeah, my. which is an astronomical <laughs> amount of material. Hell yeah. Uh, so, so we had, we had I think, seven or eight assistants working around the clock, just re-ingesting all of that material into Media Composer. And, you know, sure enough, though, it did help us out. And we were able to complete the project on schedule, which was, you know, a really, it was a quick schedule. It was a short, I think it was like seven or eight months of cutting. So we really wow. didn't have a lot of time to waste. Yeah, no joke. And then again, recently with Hired Gun, uh, that project was originally started on Adobe Premiere. And um, when I picked up the project, I just felt like we could get a lot more done again, moving it to Media Composer. And that's what we did. We went through that whole process again. Yeah, it's no joke. By the way, how'd you find that the workflow worked with all those assistants too as well? How did you have that set up? A bunch of RAID arrays and how were you able yeah, to network that? That's true. At the time, that's that's what exactly what we did. And, and that was actually part of the reason that I wanted to switch from Final Cut to Avid on Foo Fighters, because sharing projects was not as easy back then. Hell no. You, you know, you, sometimes you people would overwrite other people's stuff and, yep. you know, you couldn't be working in the same project at the same time. And, you know, with several assistants having to screen a lot of that footage, because, you know, I, I could not watch 1800 hours of material. And <laughs> in fairness, a lot of it was uh, concert footage, you know, because oh, yeah. they've Foo Fighters have a quite a catalog and a you know yeah, it's awesome. a touring history, so they've got yeah. a ton of stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, we all had to sort of be working in the project at the same time and, and be able to share things quickly. And I, I just felt that Media Composer was the best way to do it, and I, and I think uh, I think it worked out. No, salute to that. Now, a lot of people don't realize how important editing is, especially in the documentary filmmaking market. Do you mind speak about that a bit because it's a different animal? Let's put it that way. Well, yeah. I mean, most times you're not starting with a script. 
Yeah. So that's that's a huge difference. And you know, the other big difference is, uh, like I was just saying, the amount of material. So you know, when you're doing a scripted film, you know, you you have a guideline, you have a map, and you you know the scenes that they've shot, and you you know sort of put that together according to the script. But when you start with a documentary, you're just dealing with mountains of material that could come from anywhere in any format from who knows, you know, people find stuff all over the place. And so now you have to take all that, process it, put it into a format that is conducive to media composer. And then, you know, you have to essentially start outlining the film with your footage. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's been, there's been a couple of occasions, like you had mentioned the film Auschwitz, the Steven Spielberg project. And that one had a script to start with, uh, because we had, there was a uh, narration involved in that, and there was very specific things that they wanted to accomplish. And I, well, I have to say, it was a lot easier to work from a script, even with a documentary. But you know, like the projects that the feature films that I've done, other than that, did not have scripts from the start. So you're really relying on the material that you have and trying to see the story in there, and collaborating with the director, and making sure that you're able to find the story inside that big mountain of footage and then tell it in an interesting way. Right. I want to come back to that in a second here, but I want to switch gears here because you've done quite a few projects that were centered around music, you know, three music films and worked with, you know, a ton of musicians. Obviously you've mentioned that earlier. Can you talk about what those collaborations have been like for you? Well, sure. Actually, one of the things you mentioned was uh, the crystal method. And yes. it's funny because <laughs> one of my very, first jobs was to cut a live video of Busy Child, which is one of their biggest songs. And at the time, you know, I was just a fan of theirs. And I right. was I was actually DJing back then too. So I was in the clubs and I was listening to their stuff. I was playing their stuff. And then, you know, come full circle, they actually did all of the music for Hired Gun. So, uh, you know, it's like this this business, as you said earlier, is very small. You, you are going to run into people that you've met in the past and worked with. But in terms of the the music projects themselves, I, you know, it's I did the uh, Foo Fighters film, which was a lot of fun. And the band was, was involved from the, the get-go. It was uh, around the time of the release of their Wasting Light album. Right. right. And, and Grammy, uh, by the way, for that. Yeah. The yeah. The film won a Grammy. Film. They won Grammys. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That all worked out. And then I, you know, actually prior to that, I had done a film about the new kids on the block, which uh, ended up airing on VH1 right. and most recently Hired Gun. But the collaborations with musicians have somehow been a part of my career since the beginning. And I, I love it because, you know, they're all artists too. So it's great to talk to them and to hang with them and to get their perspective on things. And, you know, for the most part, every musician I've met has been really cool. Yeah, I love working with musicians i went to the musicians institute i did it just so that i could work with more musicians i went there for the music video directing a, like a film little program that they had there they no, they no longer had that program but i love working with musicians it's just a blast and uh, we've yes. had, had quite a few on this podcast and I, I just think they're brilliant people and music brings everything to life it always enhances every visual project there's the perfect marriage and that's music when it meets film it is the perfect marriage. I always say that, and it's cool hearing about your experiences with that. Now, the Steven Spielberg projects, you've worked with him twice, also his sister Nancy. You've worked with quite a few people that have received Oscars and Emmys and Grammys. What has that been like? Because a lot of people aren't exposed to that caliber of you know collaboration. So you know, what's that been like for you? 
Well, it's, it's been incredible. I mean, yeah. it, you don't actually think about a lot of that stuff when you're doing the job because you're, you're just thinking about making the best project you can make. But when you sit back and you sort of look at it and you're like, oh, wow, that's, you know, there's a lot of cool accolades that these people have gotten. And it's, you know, it's a real honor to be working with a lot of them. Yep. It sort of hits you in that way. But I, I will say that, you know, working on a, a Steven Spielberg project, just if you can think of an idea and you want to try and make that happen, there's a whole world that sort of opens up that may not be available to you on other projects because his reach is just so vast. And for example, when we were doing the animations and the visual effects for uh, the Auschwitz film, you know, Stephen said, let's get Weta, which is Peter Jackson's company in New Zealand. And Mm -hmm. they're, you know, one of the biggest and most well-known visual effects companies in the world. So that just kind of blows your mind. You're just like, yeah. Well, you, you want to do some graphics, let's get Weta. Uh, it, it puts it on a different level. <laughs> oh, so, yes. yeah, you can really see sort of the reach. And, and uh, you know, it's obviously it, it makes the filmmakers feel like you have every resource at your disposal. So it's really helpful. And you're, you know, you're sort of relaxed and not worrying about, you know, where the next thing is going to come from because it's always taken care of. Right, right. Have you found that that steps up your game, elevates you a bit? Oh, yeah, I think it has to. I mean, you don't want to think about it exactly while you're doing it. You just, like I was saying, you just want to kind of focus on the project and make it the best it can be. But yeah, you have to step up your game. It just, you know, it comes with a, you know, they come with a reputation of the highest quality. And, you know, that's what I always want to give. So, you know, when I'm in that situation, I want to do the best job I can. But to be honest, I approach, I try to approach every project like that. Right. Um, no matter, you know, who's behind it or, you know, it, it just, it could be a music video for a friend. And I, I want that to be the best music video that my friend could have. Absolutely. Absolutely. By the way, is there project preference? Because they're also different, obviously, but do you really enjoy working on certain projects more than others? Well, you know, I, I think I enjoy going back and forth between different types of projects. I think yeah. that's what's kind of interesting and, you know, keeps me feeling creative because, you, you know, if you're doing, I, I've worked for Disney before and I've, I've worked in the marketing and promotion department there. And I, I've, I've done a ton of trailers through my company and um, music videos and then feature films and commercials and, and just bouncing around to that stuff just keeps it fresh. Uh, you know, like feature films, documentaries are a long process and you're going to give a year of your life to that. So, you know, you have to believe in it. And usually by the end of that project, you're kind of exhausted and you want to maybe switch it up a little bit. So, you know, going to something that's short format, you know, really kind of just keeps the juices flowing. Right. By the way, folks, if you have a question here for Tim, feel free to plug it in the chat and we will, uh, try to get that question answered so i just wanted to give a shout out to everybody that's listening and give you an opportunity to chime in here if you'd like just join the chat there on the mixler app and we will try to get that question over to tim but let's move forward here your production company twisted pumpkin incorporated first and foremost that's quite a hell of a interesting name for a prodco where did the name come from you know, I just always liked pumpkins. <laughs> I don't really have a great story behind this. I just, uh, you know, I, for some reason, I just, I like the color. Maybe it was something having to do with Syracuse. Oh, yeah. Um, because they're the Syracuse orange. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, I didn't think just pumpkin was edgy enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, I try to make my projects uh, a little edgy when I can. And uh, I just threw in the twisted. I, you know, not a great story behind it, but an interesting name that hopefully people will rem- uh, remember. Nice. Got to make up a story for that. You know, everyone's got that made up Hollywood story right there. You, know? you could run somewhere with that. You know, you could, you could do some damage with that. 
You're right. Uh, <laughs> now, I believe it originally started as a trailer and promo company that was geared towards helping documentary filmmakers, but it has evolved quite a bit over the years. You want to talk about the genesis of that and how things have kind of manifested there? Because yeah, a, lot of, sure. you know, a lot of folks start these production companies and they don't really see the, the fruits of their labor you know, as quickly as they would like, or you, know, you always feel like you're you know, aiming to, to do bigger things. But I'd love to hear about your situation and how that kind of evolved. Well, I, I just, I was doing um, feature documentaries and, you know, when it came time to create the trailer for the documentary, there wasn't always a lot of money left over to make that happen. Yeah. So it was really difficult to go to an outside company and have them produce a really slick trailer that looks like it's worth a million bucks. And coming from a background of trailers and promos, I you know, felt pretty comfortable that I could do that for people. And I understood the other side of that, which is being a feature documentary filmmaker and not always having the funds to be able to outsource those things. So you sort of have to do it yourself. And, you know, I wanted every documentary filmmaker to be able to have a, a slick, high profile, glossy trailer that looked like something that would come out of an Avengers trailer. I, yeah. I wanted every, every documentary filmmaker to feel like their trailer could be that good. Right. And so I've you know, traditionally done most of the trailers for all the features that I work on, but Twisted Pumpkin kind of came out of that. I um, I wanted to be able to offer those services to other documentary filmmakers in a similar situation. And um, I've been able to do that. And we worked with Morgan Spurlock and we worked with Nancy Spielberg and James Mall and, and a lot of other great filmmakers that uh, had really important projects and, you know, needed really good trailers. And so that's how the company started. Yeah. But, you know, s since then, we've you know, started to expand and there's a uh, we're, we're starting to get into feature documentaries now and producing them ourselves. And you now I have one that is uh, that we're working on currently called Unutterable. Right. It's uh, based on the book by Eric Arbitman. And we are in the process of working on that right now and trying to secure financing. Oh, fantastic. Trailers are hard to cut, by the way. I, I find that they are quite complicated. You know, you'd think like a 60 second, whatever it may be, trailer would be easy, but it's quite challenging to gain that momentum to really capture the essence of whatever it is that you are obviously uh, working on. It's uh, it's not an easy process, that's for sure. It's a good point. It's you know you're trying to tell the story of someone's entire film in, in 90 seconds. You yeah. know, you, and you really want to be able to do that justice. So you, you have to watch it fresh, watch their film fresh, and um, you know try to just think about how am I going to tell that story in 90 seconds? How am I going to grab an audience's attention in a short amount of time and do justice to the film and be able to get that out there so that people will get excited about it? Hell yeah. Do you often need a fresh set of eyes there, Tim? Do you need to refresh to come back to it yeah i think so actually uh, the current film that i'm working on right now we were able to take a break in the middle of it because we were waiting for an interview subject to become available mm. and so we've had a couple of months of downtime and boy coming back to that now and being able to see the stuff that we had worked on for the previous eight months you do see it with fresh eyes and you do have a different perspective and it's incredibly helpful because you're you're able to make changes that you might have missed before because you were kind of in the bubble yeah so stepping away and then coming back in really helps you to piece that stuff together better. Yeah, it's quite badass, to say the least. Let's talk about Hired Gun again for a little bit. Do you mind telling our listeners what that project is about? I know it's set to be released on Blu-ray, DVD, and video on demand there on August 1st. But do you mind kind of talking about that project a little bit? 
Sure. Well, we had a theatrical release uh, on the 29th of June, which went very well. Uh, as you said, it's going to be released on uh, VOD and Blu-ray and DVD August 1st. But that project is about the world's most famous backing musicians that you never really heard of. They're the people behind the stars. And, right. and it gives them a chance to kind of step out and be able to tell their story. And those men and women, those musicians, they have incredible stories to tell. You know, there are some artists in the film that are um, the lead singers like Pink and Rob Zombie and Alice Cooper, but the stars of that film are all the, the backing musicians, the session players, uh, the tour players. It really finally gives them a chance to kind of step out, as the tagline says, step out of the shadows and into the spot. Yeah, it's quite awesome. The list of oh, musicians, man, is just badass, man. That's it's quite impressive. By the way, you, you know your work. <laughs> Was there kind of a breaking point for you, a turning point, I guess, where you just started getting all this work? Because... You know, I think some people are trying to figure it out out there and how they can boost their portfolios or, you know, acquire more work. And some folks are, you know, trying to figure out how to acquire paid work and be compensated for their work. How did you transition into wanting to do these trailers and promos to actually earning money and earning income doing it? Was it one project kind of led to the next and that whole networking aspect of it, the work being you know, the, the center point of acquiring more work. Would you mind talking about that a little bit? Yeah, I, I don't think there was one sort of project or moment that kind of spiraled me into that. I, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough to work pretty steadily since I, I moved to Los Angeles. And I actually just hit my 20th anniversary out here. Oh, congrats. Very nice. <laughs> well, thanks. I'm on my 11th. My gosh. All right. Well, congrats to you. I appreciate it, man. It's awesome. Isn't it awesome? It, it is awesome. Yeah. It's awesome to be able to work in this business and make a living from it and work on great projects with great people. There wasn't really necessarily a, a particular project that, you know, like propelled me into anything. It was just doing a good job on each project and, and meeting people and, you know, being able to work with people and make connections. And then, you know, you get referrals to the next project or someone sees your work, like the case with Hired Gun, right. uh, Jason Hook, who he... Uh, He's a member of the band Five Finger Death Punch. He's also a producer and one of the stars of that film. And he had seen Foo Fighters back and forth. And, you know, he, he had heard that it had a success and he really enjoyed that film. So he thought that uh, maybe I could help them with their film. And that's kind of how that happened. But I've gotten other gigs from, you know, just doing a, a good job on one project and then someone refers you to another one. Right. So I just, you know, I think the point is just work as hard as you can, do as good of a job as you can, and approach every project like you want it to be the best one ever. Oh, yeah. It's one one project leads to the next, and it's all about your reputation. It means so much out here. It really does. And it's like, you know, some people say they have a big break, and really I find that most people have a series of small breaks that end up manifesting into a larger break. But, uh, you know, it, it kind of varies, though. You know, you've got – I don't think everybody feels like – I've met a person who felt like they were doing enough. I always feel like people are always striving to do more. If Oscar winners here are still wanting to do more, you know, they want to win more Oscars. They want to create better films. And it's kind of a weird animal, this business in that regard. It's fascinating, uh, to say the least. Yeah, I, I feel that too. I mean, I, you know, I, I want every project to just be better than the one before it. So, yeah. you know, you're always trying to one-up yourself. Right. And so, yeah, you're always striving to be better and do the best thing you can do. Right. By the way, I have a question here from the chat by mr chris goodhall he wants to know what was it like working with on zimmer well i mean that's one of those things where it's uh, next level 
stuff. So that was part of the Steven Spielberg project. And um, when we were putting together that film, I mean, you choose music and and scores from other projects and you use them as temp music and you know you hope that you've at least laid a good foundation for the composer to sort of take over you know just ratchet that up and create some original music that's beautiful and Hans Zimmer and Benjamin Walfish Mm, who worked with Hans Zimmer and did a lot of the compositions on that film who is incredible they just I mean you know what can you say (laughs) you're talking about Hans Zimmer and Benjamin Walfish and they're creating compositions for a film that you're working on and it's you know nothing we heard was anything short of great you know it's just every cue that came in we're like yep that's amazing that's amazing (laughs) and that doesn't always happen but those guys are at the top of their game yeah it's uh quite profound there to say the least let's come back to your your production company and stuff that you're working on the documentary feature uh for hulu soon that series for netflix uh, you're quite a busy man. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, too? I just want to make sure that you know, our listeners can be up to speed on everything that you've got going on. I know you mentioned a little bit about it at the beginning, but come back to that. Yeah, well, I'm just about a month away from finishing a new documentary feature for Hulu. You know, we, I can't say too much about it yet, but it's... Mm-hmm about a, a very famous street artist, you know, which is awesome for me because it gets to combine my love of film and my love of art into one project. So nice. I've been having a blast working on this and, and that's um, scheduled to come out later this year. And then there's another project I'll be starting after that one for Netflix. And it's a, it's a hybrid series where uh, we're mixing some scripted elements with some documentary elements to sort of make this kind of new and interesting type of documentary series. And then I have a film I I mentioned, Unutterable, that we've been working on. That one is kind of going on all at the same time. So we're kind of working through all that stuff. That that film's really special to me because it's based on the book by Eric Arbitman. And it's, you know, he's been a, a friend of mine for a long time. We're we're really close friends from when we were kids. Mm, and wow. he and his family went through a, a major tragedy when they lost his younger brother to addiction. Right. And, you know, obviously that, that crushed them. And Eric did not know quite how to deal with that. And his way of coping was to sort of get his thoughts out and write a story. And he, you know, kind of worked his way through it as best he could, writing this incredible book. You know, I think, unfortunately, so many people know someone that has suffered from this disease. Right. You know, it just felt like it would be a great topic for a film so that we can let other people know, you know, you're not alone. Now there's other people going through these experiences. And when the time was right, I brought it up to him and he was all for it. Mm, wow. The film version of his book sort of takes on a little bit of a different vibe because his book was about his personal stories of dealing with it. But the film kind of starts with that mm-hmm. and then opens up into the bigger world of just addiction and people going through it. And at the same time, sort of parallels the things that he went through. Wow. So I feel a great sense of responsibility to do justice to that. That's what we're working on right now. Wow. Where are you at in the production process? We've shot some interviews. We yeah. started putting together some trailers. We've outlined a lot of the things that we want to do. And as we're sort of putting that stuff together, we are seeking financing. Oh, it's fantastic. My God, it sounds like a great, great topic there to, to tackle for sure. And it's personalized too, which as always, uh, you know, makes for a good film. My God. Very cool. Very, very cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, is there anything else, by the way, going on that you want to share while I have you on the air there? 
Well, uh, gotta mention assistant editors. Yes. <laughs> Since we've been focused on editing so much, assistant editors are so key. And uh, especially in the documentary world where there's just so much footage to keep track of and things can easily slip through the cracks. So, you know, the assistants, they don't get enough credit for a lot of the work that they do. I think it's really important to recognize them because I can't put out the creative projects that I put out if there's not an amazing team supporting that. I've been fortunate enough to work with some really great assistants and, you know, my sister, Liz Calandrello, is one. Oh, awesome. And Shout out to Liz. We, yeah, we were able to work on a couple yeah. projects together, including the Steven Spielberg project. Oh, awesome. Is that difficult working with family, by the way? No, okay, no, my cool. sister and I get along really well. So good, good. Uh, that was pretty easy. Uh, nice. We have a shorthand, so it's it's easier to communicate. It's actually, you know, it can be better sometimes too. Cool. Uh, and and then I, I have to mention Onika Austin, who mm. I worked with for over a decade, and uh, she's really incredible. And Shout she, out to um, <laughs> yeah, she uh, has worked on the Foo Fighters film with me. She worked on Hired Gun. She worked on a film I did called Farmland. Yeah. And she's also working a little bit on Unutterable and the new artist project that we're doing. So I don't know how she keeps track of all the material that she has to keep track of, but <laughs> somehow she does it. And if I say, hey, do you remember this shot from eight months ago? And she'll be like, yep, I got it. Here it is. Right, right. So that kind of stuff, when you're putting together a project, the, the speed of that is is just so valuable and uh you know i'm just really appreciative to the really good assistants that are help make these things move you know what salute to you and salute to them because you know what tim some people are just dicks and you know you work for some people because i've worked for some folks and they were just dicks man i mean you know they were just assholes i mean there's some stuff that i remember doing as an assistant that was just brutal but those experiences were great because sometimes i mean you're up until like the wee hours of the night. I mean, I remember being up to like four or five o'clock and I'm you know, trying to juggle, you know, a job and all this other stuff. And you're not under the best conditions sometimes. So uh, it's cool that you come on here and give a shout out to the people that work for you. That's obviously something that uh, I notice and recognize and appreciate folks because there's so many moving parts in this film process. And it's really important to realize and recognize the contributions of others. And uh, it's such a collaborative effort and, uh, when when everybody's in alignment, cause that's when the magic happens. And it's cool that you came on and uh, gave everybody that you work with a shout out to as well, because uh, it's, that's what it's all about. Well, as I tell them that this stuff doesn't get done without them, because, you know, like you said, it, it is a team effort. You have to collaborate. And, you know, it's a lot of times you're working with really small crews. So people are wearing multiple hats and they're doing it well. And there are a lot of those late nights. Oh, yes. <laughs> a lot of them. My God. For everyone. So uh, it can get pretty intense. So you, you have to make sure you're getting along with everybody and that everyone's, you know, pulling their weight. And shout out to all the people listening to this podcast, broadcast, live show, whatever the hell you want to call it. Appreciate you tuning in here. You love art, huh? Tim, I, I mentioned, you mentioned that there a second ago. I and do, yeah. Because LA's got some fantastic places to view art. It's one of my favorite things to do. What are some of your favorite spots, man? Because we've got some great places. The Broad, oh God, Getty, oh gosh, we just go down the list. Yeah, well, you, you stole my thunder a little bit. The, the Broad <laughs> is incredible. Oh, I, I love uh, that place. I went there the first time around Thanksgiving last year, and uh, my family was in town, and we were able to go. And it was when I first walked in there, I was like, wow, oh, this my. place is incredible yeah and um there's a little bit of serendipity there because uh, we went up to one of the exhibits and just so happened to be an exhibit of all the artists that influenced the artist 
who's in the film that we're making now. What? And I was like, yeah. And, and it was like, we go from room to room and I'm like, okay, this person was a huge influence. Then you walk to the next room and I'm like, and this one, and this one, it was, I just got goosebumps walking through there. I was like, this was meant to be. <laughs> so <laughs> the road's incredible. I love Lachma. Yeah, I love Lachma's Mocha. Awesome. Yep. You mentioned the Getty, the Getty Villa is great. All of those. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, uh, Bergamot station. Oh, that yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's just fantastic. Folks, if you're, you know, take a trip to LA, make sure you check out these art museums. I mean, they're just one of a kind out here. You see so much good art. Do you have a favorite type of art form? There's so much of it. It's hard to have a favorite. At least for me, it is. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I, I, it is hard to pick one favorite. It's like, you know, kind of picking your favorite movie. It's like I, I have favorite movies in certain genres, but I, I don't necessarily have one just favorite. And uh, I kind of it's kind of like the projects I do. I like variety. You know, I like being able to jump from a project that goes on a long time to one that goes on a short time and one that's about music to one that's about politics. It just it keeps it interesting. So, you know, I feel kind of art is the same way. I want to go to different places that show me different things because you can get ideas from all those places. Right. Not, if I'm stuck on something, I'm trying to work out an idea and I just can't get it done. I will take some time and I'll go visit a museum and, and just every time it works because you're just inspired by all these other great artists. So yeah. that's what I love to do. Fantastic. By the way, are you watching anything? What's on your screen? Do you have time to watch anything? Because I, I love watching films and obviously TV and all these streaming services, but it's hard as hell to find the time. Is there anything that you've been watching? Yeah, lately it is really difficult to find time, but yeah, yeah you know, I'm, I'm, Big into Netflix and Hulu, and and you know I, I just finished up Better Call Saul, which oh, yeah, is great. Love, that show. love it. And Netflix had has a show called The Fall, which I love, yeah. and I'll always rewatch The Wire. Oh yes. <laughs> just, so I, for me, it's uh, you know if there's something new that piques my interest, then I'll go for it. Actually, I'm watching Glow now, which I yep. think is incredible. Mm -hmm. Someone told me about that. So many shows. Yeah. Gosh. So it's just like there's so many outlets now, and you can uh, just pretty much pick a mood that you're in and find something that'll suit that mood. So you know, there's just too much out there, but it's great. Now we are approaching the end of the program here, and I want to give you an opportunity to give a little advice. I always like to ask my guests to share a little advice with those that might be listening to this right now that are trying to figure this thing out. Would you mind sharing some advice? Maybe there's somebody that wants to do what you're doing right now. Maybe they don't have the resources. Maybe they're not in Los Angeles. Maybe they're somewhere you know, across the country or in another country. But maybe they want to do this whole entertainment thing. Is there any advice that you would give that person that's listening? Yeah, I you know, I would say... First of all, you, you want to know your craft and it could be multiple crafts. You, you might have a focus on several areas. I mean, I, I try to do a lot of different things. I edit, I write, I produce, I'm directing again. When you do each one of those jobs, you want to do them the best that you can. So you, you want to learn everything that you can about that to make you a better filmmaker. And, you know, for editing, you want to specifically, you want to know the tools. You want to understand Avid Media Composer and Final Cut and Adobe. And you might have a preference for which one you want to work on, but you may not be afforded that luxury because, you know, the company you're working for might want to go a different way. So you really need to keep up with the tools and make sure that you understand and are constantly improving. So the other thing I would say is don't limit yourself creatively at all. I mean, a good example I can give is uh, when we were doing this film, Farmland, the director had said that he wanted to use the song, This Land is Your Land by Woody Guthrie. Mm. It's a classic yeah. folk song. And the film itself was about modern American farmers. And I had remembered that um, Everclear, the band, yep. had written or had covered 
This Land Is Your Land on one of their albums. And it was like a modern rock sounding version of that song. So immediately I was like, uh, why don't we get Everclear's version? And um, 10 months later, we're in the studio with Art Alexakis and Everclear. Um, it's his band. Yeah. And we're recording that song, re-recording it. Oh, and that's badass. So but I kind of my, my point of that is if, if you can, you know, if you can think it, do whatever you can to make it happen. Because, you know, especially in this business, there's uh, probably a way to do it. That is excellent advice right there, Tim. And I've got to do something here to you. Oh, God, I hate to do this to you, sir. It's something that I do to all of my guests. So I'm sure the hell not going to discriminate here and leave you out of the mix. But it's something that I do to all of my guests here, Tim. And I'm going to give you a second and give our listeners a second to kind of think over what this might be. I'm just going to ask you if you are uh, ready for it here. It's something I need to do. You have an option to opt out if you'd like, but I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm game. I mean, if we're, wow. we're here, we're going to do it. Although you got me worried. Diving right in there. But I like the fact that you have a little bit of doubt there. It's, you know, <laughs> right. you can do a little bit a little of doubt. doubt. Indeed, indeed. I'm give you another second here, Tim, to kind of think this over. If you want to go through with this, it's, I hate to do this to you, man. You've been wonderful. You've been such a great guest. And well, now you're just really building it up. <laughs> oh god let is me... this a trailer for the actual <laughs> question or... uh, let me let me just let me just let me get this over with <laughs> now tim this is the part of the show where i ask our guests to share a fun fact about themselves all that for this right <laughs> now tim, this fun fact has to be something that people don't know about you so somebody listening right now needs to find out something about you that they don't know and i'm gonna put the spotlight on you sir and the floor is yours a fun fact Tim. fun fact all right well um i am a wrestling fan oh and fortunately enough for me uh i've been able to work with a lot of wrestlers over the years so I was a fan since I was a kid, and it's kind of stuck with me all these years, and there it is. Ah, not a bad fun fact right there. A wrestling <laughs> fan. I kept that a secret for a very long time. <laughs> now, oh God, we've got to talk about this a bit here. I've got <laughs> a lot of friends who are fans of wrestling, and I used to be a big wrestling fan back in the day, so you've got some favorites now? I mean, who's who do you like nowadays? And were you a fan back in the like Hulkamaniac days and, you know, Andre the Giant and Jake the Snake and gosh, there were so many people that I could name right now. But, you know, who's on your uh, your list of favorites there? I've been a fan since I was a kid. I watched Saturday Night's main event with my grandfather. Nice. Me too. My uncle actually worked for the WWF, as oh. it was called back in the day. Yeah. So he had, had gotten Andre the Giant's ring. His what? actual ring, which is the size of like a baseball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, he used to be a, a bodyguard for some of those wrestlers, in, including Andre the Giant, which sounds silly, but <laughs> as he would need a bodyguard, but he didn't. And, uh, you know, over the years, I just kind of stuck with it. So, uh, I don't know, my favorites today, AJ Styles, Kevin Owens, who's oh, nice. uh, spent a lot of time in Los Angeles wrestling in the underground. So, right. there you go. Oh, cool. Very, very cool. Huh, a wrestling fan. Nice. A lot of the wrestling yeah. podcasts out there, by the way. I know it. Nice. Would you ever get in the ring, Tim? A little, uh, little body slam action. If the opportunity presented itself, yeah. How could you say no? 
Oh my. <laughs> Twisted Tim. Twisted Tim <laughs> Pumpkin. <laughs> I might be after. Yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. Ridiculous then, Max. My God. Now, how can folks stay up to date with everything you're doing? Yeah, I think the best place to go is uh, my website, twistedpumpkin.com. Pretty much all the updates for everything will be uh, going through there. There's a Twisted Pumpkin Facebook page you can find. And also, you know, we're just going to, we're actually redoing the entire site. So even though it's up now, it's going to have a whole new look in a few weeks. And nice. we're going to be updating it regularly. So uh, lots of new information coming there, including updates on all the projects that are upcoming. Fantastic. Folks, definitely check out his website. It's fantastic. So it's cool that... Uh, Wow, you're going to update it even more. It looks, it looks great. It really well, does look you. great. And uh, I'm really curious to see what you've got going on here in the upcoming uh, months. There's certainly some stuff to look out for, to say the least. But, sir, it's been a pleasure having you on the program here tonight. And, folks, if you're listening to this in live or you weren't able to catch the live stream, the podcast version will be uploaded there in a few days. But, Tim, I've got to bring you back here in the future for an update if you're up for it. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to. It's, it's been really fun. Thank you. Oh, my. It's been a pleasure. And folks listening out there, really appreciate you tuning in. We're going to definitely close off with some final remarks here in a bit. But ladies and gentlemen, that was Tim Calandrello. Gosh, that's a, your last name is a tongue twister. You know that? <laughs> it can be. Yeah. I've heard pretty much every variation of that. Uh, fantastic. But it's it's really been a pleasure having you on the show here and god folks make sure you check him out make sure you check out twisted pumpkin incorporated his production company you can follow him there on twitter and on that note we will be back with more after this break thanks again tim thank you and welcome back to the cinema after dark podcast my gosh sun has actually set here appreciate you all tuning in here on your sunday evening want to thank our guest tonight Mr. Tim Calandrello, what a great, great discussion that was. Make sure you check out everything he's doing. He's doing quite a lot out there. Most importantly, I want to thank all of you again for tuning in to this live broadcast here tonight. Obviously, a show does not exist without you listening, so please spread the word about this show. I would greatly appreciate that, and stay tuned, men. Follow us on Twitter. Folks, if you want to find out when the next live broadcast is, I believe it's going to be on Tuesday. We've got a wonderful guest coming on Tuesday, so that should be a riot. So make sure you tune in then and you know, stay up to date with what we're doing there on Twitter. Hopefully entertain you on Tuesday night. With that said, dream big.